everyone. Welcome back to the Road to Wealth podcast. It is your host, Justin Knackpill, and we are winding down the end of 2022. So happy holidays to you and yours. And hopefully everyone is doing well on their financial journey going into the new year of 2023. On today's episode, we have Erica Young, formerly of TaylorMade Budgets. I really enjoyed our conversation today uh, because we dive into her story and we talk a little bit about her new pivot of educating financial wellness within the workplace. It is a true initiative to pay it forward and she's empowering knowledge in all facets of life and making us dream a little bit bigger, which I absolutely love. So I hope you enjoy this episode and please go leave a rating and review on your podcast player. It certainly helps me in this little operation and a passion of mine within this podcast. So um, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Erica Young. Well, let me get into an intro, Erica. Thank you so much for you know, the brief uh, talk during pre-show, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, for those that are new to the podcast, my name is Justin Ackbill, host of the Road to Wealth podcast, and I'm honored to have Mrs. Erica Young on the podcast, formerly from the TaylorMade Budgets, but as ericayoung.com. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Justin. Oh, it's my pleasure. She ha- she's a fellow Midwestern in the state to the right of me. So we have the uh, terrible winter months coming. <laughs> yes, we do. I'm enjoying 50 degrees today, though. I will take it today and tomorrow if I can. <laughs> yeah, same here in Chicago. <laughs> well, Erica, why don't you give uh, the listeners a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background. Yeah. So officially today, I am known as a financial coach and financial educator. I enjoy speaking about money and helping people get out from under whatever financial mountain they have to climb. Uh, But the journey to get here is, I think, a unique one. I was an engineer by trade. I went to school at the University of Michigan for my electrical engineering degree. And then I worked in that field at Motorola for seven years. And parts of it I enjoyed and parts of it I didn't. There was not enough, in my opinion, people interaction. I am much more of a people person than engineering provided for me. And what I did enjoy, however, is the idea of being able to help someone else. And so um, I really felt like my journey out of debt is what got me into this field. Um, my husband and I, you know, when we got married, our a number one goal was to ensure that our children had no recollection or no issue, if you will, around um, finances. And so we wanted to change our family tree. And so for us, that meant making certain that we had a solid path ourselves and that we knew what money could do for you and to maximize on that. And so we made that a priority. And it took us five years to get out of about $90,000 in debt. And then I began to find ways to, you know, help other people in that way. So I took business classes, I went to boot camps, I read all the books and went to seminars and things like that. And I just really wanted to educate myself more thoroughly on um, having a business and having a support around creating such a business. And 
I had someone who gave me a couple of people to try out with, like, see if you like this, just, you know, see if you can help them. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I got a lot of fulfillment from it. And so I started helping people with their budgets, cash flow plans, and giving them a vision for getting out of debt. And believe it or not, that was almost 18 years ago. And I have been in you know, the personal finance, financial coach space for that long. And this year, my shift, my big shift in the business is to more financial wellness in the workplace to help more people transform organizations and workspaces so that they too can experience freedom as a collective. So that that is what I'm up to. Such an extensive background, Erica, and I love, uh, you know, you coming from a very technical piece, but really focusing on the why for you and your family of four. Um, I'm wondering for that $95,000 of debt, what did that consist of? Yeah, actually half of it was student loans. Um, super easy to get into student loans. My husband and I both had student loans. I, between the two of us, we had seven credit cards. We also had car payments. And when the kiddos arrived, we got a couple new cars, right? They're four years apart. We got a car when the first one was little because our car broke down. And then when the second one arrived four years later, we were like, oh, we need something bigger, better, nicer. And that meant more debt. And so, it's really easy between those two things, student loans and car payments to actually get up to that $90,000, unfortunately. So that was normal. That was normal. And um, we didn't want to be normal. That's the honest truth. Yeah. There's, you know, plenty of people in this space that, you know, kind of triggered your inspiration to get out of debt. Well, did you have any of those uh, inspirations, you know, jumping into this space? Well, okay. So in truth, we did. However, um, they weren't the only ones. My husband actually found Dave Ramsey on the radio. We, you know, went to seminars. I, at the time, I mean, Susie Orman's been around a long time. David Bach, um, you know, Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, like there, I read all the books, right? I read all the books and um, we tended to lean towards Dave Ramsey because he was just simply no nonsense. He was no nonsense and easily accessible on a daily basis on my husband's ride to work. And so sure, he was inspirational. But I also think that... There was a part of me that knew there were people around me. Like my grandfather was a bit of an inspiration as well. He was a person who always had cash on hand. And that made me, he wasn't rich, but I saw him as closer to rich because he always had cash, right? And and so when I heard from my mother, who was a single parent, wait till payday, or we don't have it right now, or we're broke, what that meant to me was she didn't have cash, right? But my grandfather always had cash. Matter of fact, he bought my mother a car with cash. And I was like, man, he's loaded. (laughs) And he wasn't, he was just intentional. And that made a difference to me. I've never forgotten being at the car dealership and witnessing my grandfather handing over cash money for a vehicle for her. um, And 
you know, frankly for us, he did it because his grandkids needed, you know, transportation. And frankly, he was my mother's in-law. That was not her father who bought that car. And um, my parents were divorced at the time. Like it, that spoke volumes to me that he would give a car with cash, not even just a down payment, right? Like he would bless her in that way. And, you know, he cared enough about our family that he would do that. That was amazing. And so, sure, I had the big picture, one, you know, inspiration that you have out in the world that everybody has, but I also have my grandfather. And that has really meant a lot to me because that's the kind of person, that's the kind of human I want to be that, you know, I've got, resources to give in that way and also the heart to give in that way as well. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the fact that your grandfather was the inspiration. We see all these large media personalities of Dave Ramsey and I was a Ramsey acolyte too. Um, but even jumping into the financial independence, retire early space, um, these personalities are very large, but they feel a little bit at home. I love the fact that your grandfather is still very much in your heart and yeah. that that North star of who you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. I think that if we can tap into those closer to us, it means more, it sticks, you know, in a way that um, other people might not stick. And it's not that he ever talked to me about money in that way. It's just that his actions spoke volumes. And so that's the kind of impact I would love to make. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so I want to take a little bit of time today on this podcast to talk about workplace financial wellness. And I learned about you. Um, obviously, I saw you on the FinCon stage, which you did an amazing job in Orlando. Thanks. Um, but I want to talk about our fellow friend, uh, Dr. Jordan Grummet, and mm -hmm. you going on the Earn and Invest podcast talking about pivoting into this new lane of workplace financial wellness. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what is inspiring you to pivot into this lane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I'll speak to what inspired me. I enjoy the energy, the impact, the reach of being on a stage or in a room where there is a workshop that I'm speaking, a workshop full of people. Um, that one-to-many impact is huge. So I have been working with people one-on-one -on -one for many years now, and that is a deep connection and sometimes a longer-term connection, right? And, and they're able to make a really big difference in their own lives. But when I'm able to impact a thousand people, that's huge. So I really wanted to expand that. Plus, I'm not afraid of the stage. Like, I'm not afraid of groups. Like, I get my energy from people in that way. And so I know that that's a huge fear for a lot of people. And when I realized some years back that I actually don't mind the stage and the nerves give me energy and, like, I, I enjoy it, naturally, that was, for me, an easy yes. The other part of financial wellness is honestly using all of my coaching experience to, to what I call go beyond the numbers. Workplace wellness is really about the whole person, the whole human, and not just budgeting and debt reduction. 
it is about it's it's I liken it to someone taking vitamins for their whole health, right? So sure, we're gonna have fruits and vegetables and protein and all that we need, but the vitamins are the things that that we may not get, you know, naturally from all the sources on a daily basis. And that is a whole complete solution for your nutrition, right? And so financial wellness is a whole complete solution, right? It's not just you know, the meat and potatoes of getting the, you know, debt down and the budget and all that. I talk about the past experience. Like I just mentioned my grandfather, that's a healthy, positive past experience, but there may also be some not so great ones that you need to unpack as well in order for you not to be held back by it. And then dreaming about your future is a part of wellness, knowing that your future can be brighter than it is today and giving yourself room space and attention to think about what it is that you really want is how you actually make the budget impactful, right? And then your money present, right? Just what it is that you have to face today, what it is you have to overcome, the the habits and behaviors that you currently have and how to make them more positive. All of these things add up to a whole financial wellness solution. And I don't see enough people speaking about the entire thing. And so I think that it's important to bring that to workplaces where many people can be impacted. But specifically for me, I am honestly targeting credit unions because they actually bring financial wellness solutions to their members. And I want to do the professional development inside of spaces. And so I've had the opportunity to work with um, some credit unions and very, you know, excited about the results that they're seeing and the hope that they're able to bring in a new, fresh way to the members that they have in their in their credit union. No, I, I love that because I, th- I think work is such a vital characteristic of who we are, mm-hmm. uh, not only within our society, but within our personalities. It's what um, many of us bring home. And f- even f- if you're an entrepreneur, like there's an element of work that you have to navigate to, mm-hmm. but I love the fact that you're targeting organizations on what that looks like. If, if I was in charge of a credit union, what are some of those things that you you bring bring to me that could impact my employers or you know my staff? Yeah. Well, so one, it is professional development. So it's really making sure that your team is strong and they understand how to work well with the members that they're talking to. Um, because if, if you're offering solutions to help them improve their financial situation, I'm the girl to get you going and, um, make certain that you're thinking about how to interact with them on the, in the best way possible, how to hear them properly, how to understand what it is that they're saying and how to connect them with the solutions that are present at the credit union. Um, the other thing though, is that this is truly a workplace benefit, right? So this is, you know, what I find is people need to also improve their situation so that they can be healthy and whole for others. And so this is a benefit to credit unions, but also to other organizations. I've had, you know, several different companies that I work with that are looking for creative ways to keep their employees engaged. And a lot of people come to work stressed. They come to work heavy with a lot of burdens and things like that. And so um, being able to give them a, a solution or something to think about in these times is vital. One of the things that I, that I, one of the webinars that I have done this year a couple of times is um, how basically how to, you know, combat inflation, right? We know what's here. What are the things that you can do 
today in order to improve your situation. And then specifically with credit unions, I'm actually consulting with a credit union right now with their sales team to help them improve how they bring members on, right? So one of the things that they really want is to increase membership because more members internally means more dollars for the organization. And uh, because you can bring on their, their mortgage, you can help them with different, you know, resources that they that you have to offer. And so they want to increase membership because um, credit unions are typically community based. And that is it's it's huge if you can increase your membership so that you can increase the dollars that are under management. And um, so I help with the sales teams to understand the methodology of how to listen for what is needed with these people who are trying to make the, the leap into another um, banking institution and how to meet those needs with what they offer at that particular credit union. So there's a lot of different takes that I do um, on this type of relationship, but it it's always going to be to to have a whole financial wellness solution. No, that's great, Erica. You know what are some components of that? So I do keynote workshops for um, sales teams. I do workshops. Um, some of my workshops are simply on unpacking, you know, past money messaging and things like that. Some of the workshops are on dreaming again, literally walking through that that cycle. Rewriting your money story is huge because we come into our adulthood with a story of how we think money ought to be or what we've been taught and then rewriting it, rewriting that narrative for what you really want and how do you get there. Um, so I do workshops, webinars, things like that. I talk about healthy money habits, healthy financial habits, um, lots of different topics, but primarily it's either keynotes, workshops, webinars. I do those in person. I do those virtually. And, um, and then if people want ongoing support, I also do monthly or biweekly consulting with sales teams internally to help them up-level their skills. I dig it. I love it a lot. I think within our times, especially the inflation piece, um, mm -hmm. you know, I saw a statistic of how savings rates have completely decreased as yeah. well as debt has increased through this time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, you know, your take on what the current economic conditions are and just how that's impacting kind of your speaking narrative within the PD space. Yeah. Well, you know what? A lot of people are worried and concerned and they're making quick choices versus really being thoughtful about how to navigate this space. The way that I'm approaching the inflation rate is we know that it's around eight, eight and a half percent. So I think people need to really be intentional about looking at their finances and seeing how can we either decrease our spending or increase our income to offset inflation. So maybe decrease spending by 4%. Now, when you think about 4%, it's not huge. And then maybe increasing your income by 4% or what are some ways that you can offset that inflation cost? But you've got to look at the numbers in order for that to happen. Um, we are not in control of how quickly or how slowly inflation is going to change. But we are, however, much more in control of our own personal world here. And so we've got to look at how can we make those changes. One of the things that I say to people all the time is this is a really easy economy to find ways to make money. It really is. Gig economy is right now, like increasing income 
for, you know, any type of um, service that you bring to the world or product that you bring to the world. It We've made it so easy. Being, it, it, it honestly, Etsy is blowing up all of the ways that you can share assets, your, your ride, your house. Like there's so much that you can do to make additional income. So honestly, it's frustrating that inflation is what it is, but that doesn't have to tie our hands and make us feel like we can't do anything because there's tons of ways to make money. I'm curious, Erica, because there's been this headline that's been going around that I think it was like 40%, and I'm going to butcher the statistic, but a significant amount of people that earning a high income, let's say six figures, are living paycheck to paycheck. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a lot of in the workplace, people are bringing a lot of these burdens and just people have student loans, things that have you know, kind of accumulated over the years. Yeah. How do you address that? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, actually, so the statistic is really high. It's about 70% of American workers are living paycheck to paycheck, which means that if they missed a paycheck, they would be in dire straits. Something might not get paid, right? And so um, the challenge there is, what are we doing? <laughs> We're spending everything that we make, right? Um and the truth of the matter is that there are three areas that I tell people to look first. One is dining out um, because we have really gotten relaxed. We say, oh, we've got to eat. Sure, you have to eat, but do you have to dine out? It is a luxury. And I'm, I don't want to put restaurants or quick service places out of business, but I do want you to be very intentional about realizing that food is a necessity. Dining out is a want. And how often you do that is up to you. It, it really, it takes a little bit more planning, sure, to make sure that you've got everything you need at home. Um, and I'm also not saying never dine out, but I am saying look at how often and how much you're spending. And then the second thing is subscriptions. Our subscriptions are out of control. I had a client just uh, a couple of years ago, we added up all of their subscriptions and they had, and these are things that are under $20. They had over $150 in subscriptions. Some of them were not being used. And so I had them do an inventory of all of it and they were able to bring that down to about 50 or 60 bucks and that saved them a little bit of money on a monthly basis. It was just something they were not paying attention to. So subscriptions is another, you know, category I would tell people to look at. And then the third thing is Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. And people cringe when I say that, but we have to look at what it is that we're doing. Is it a need or is it a want? Um, is this something that we can, you know, we, we do it for the convenience. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. We do it for the convenience. Yep. Most of the time we are dining out for the convenience as well. And so we do it for ease. It's simple. It arrives at our door. We don't have to go anywhere. And that just blew up in the pandemic time because we were all just trying to get everything just simply delivered to our house. And we're still in that mode. And unfortunately, what I think is happening is that we haven't realized or gone back to reevaluate the necessity of some of the things that we're purchasing and or if it truly is less expensive. So I would say look at those three areas um, when we're, we're trying to decrease our spending or come within um, our income. And the point in that, if you are living very close to the edge, the point in that is to do two things. You find that money when you do this exercise, either put it towards your savings so that you're not living paycheck to paycheck. You literally have at least a paycheck in savings or 
put it towards debt reduction. So you're reducing your outgo at some point. And then that also gives you a little bit breathing room. And then you're not necessarily a part of that paycheck to paycheck statistic. And it's even more prevalent now, especially during this holiday season, Eric. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, the holidays. Yes. The biggest tip I have around holidays is honestly add up how much you spend for, you know, the holidays, right? On gift giving. Let's just for round number's sake, let's say it's $1,200 that you spend, which is about the national average, honestly, for a household to spend on on gift giving during the season. And come January, put away $100 make it automatic. And by December, you've got $1,200 for 2023. We know when the holidays are coming. We just haven't prepared for them accurately. And so um, that's huge. You know, no matter what you celebrate or how you celebrate, prepare ahead of time, give yourself the, the, the breathing room on a monthly basis by just setting it aside because between November and December, we lose our mind. <laughs> Yes, I mean, talk about convenience, and I, 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 that's such a good strategy. I, I know I'll credit Uncle Dave that Christmas is always on December 25th. That's right. So we all should be very much in preparation for it. That's right. Um, well, I, I want to go back to the piece around um, financial wellness in yeah. the workplace, and you talked a lot about dreaming again and rewriting your money story. I talk a lot on this podcast, Erica, about money is more than just the numbers. It is the psychology of how to operate with it. And I'm curious within that space, how do you talk through with your, with your clients around dreaming again? How do you talk about rewriting the money story? Yeah. Right. So there are three things that you need to do when you're dreaming. Well, first of all, First of all, I think that for couples in particular to get on the same page with their money, I think that most of the time they're doing it wrong. Typically, couples start with the numbers and they're like, we've got to do this budget or we got to figure out how to get out of debt or we have this thing that's due. And and while some of that is urgent, yes, and necessary, yes, they're not necessarily getting on the same page with where they're headed and why this is important long term. And dreaming helps you do that. So I tell people when we're talking about dreaming to think about, it's not just goal setting, honestly, it's vision casting. It's what do you want to see in five years or 10 years? Um, what do you want life to look like? And that is not a goal. It is really just visualizing, imagining, closing your eyes and wondering what's possible. So that's the step one. And then I would say in dreaming, you've got to invest in yourself. So this might be learning. This might be investing in your future, meaning setting money aside for those eventual things that you want. Um, And it also could be, you know, up-level your skills and things like that, but investing in yourself so that tomorrow is better with an eye for the future. And then investing in your kids or your legacy, you know, who are you bringing after you? And so some of this is conversation. Some of this is teaching them. Some of this is showing them. And some of this is setting money aside for them. But investing in yourself, investing in your kids and your legacy, and then making sure that you're giving yourself the opportunity to close your eyes and imagine the possibilities. That is what I consider dreaming. And that is the fun part. I mean, I, I tend to think that we're, we're, I love budgeting. I'm a nerd. So I, I love budgeting and I will tend to go to the numbers first as well. But what I've learned over time with my clients is that 
sometimes they're just not ready. Sometimes that need not be the very first thing they do. Sometimes they need to get excited about all of the possibilities that are before them in the future, all of the possibilities or the potential that their money has to bring them the type of life they want or the lives for those that they leave behind. And so that's the exciting part. I'm in a stage in life where I'm dreaming again about something new because we actually accomplished some of our dreams. My kids are out of the house. I'm an empty nester and I get to create a new dream. And I'm like, what is that dream? Because a lot of the times our dreams are wrapped around our children and, you know, making sure that they have a bright, vibrant future. And so I'm in that transition phase with them and I've got dreams for myself and I get a chance to imagine those possibilities for me. And that's just a new space. And so it's fun. It gets me excited. I have a smile on my face. I get some energy and I'm learning something new. And so that's what I think sometimes we miss in our financial wellness journey is that we're so focused on the numbers that we don't have the fun. And I think it's time to put that back. I love it. I love it. Because once we get into a, cl- a client or you talk to someone that, oh, yeah, I'm a money person. It's just like, oh, yeah, we're we're spending too much on this. And we automatically go into the spreadsheet lines. Yeah. And I think we should really dream bigger of what our life wants to be. And yeah. you, if we can spend extravagantly on one thing, what would it be? Like, we never mm-hmm. have that narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm dreaming about travel. I, I love travel. And my husband and I are going to have 25 years next year of marriage, which is insane to think about. And yes, thank you. But like one of our dreams was to have like a pretty nice vacation. We enjoy vacations. Like we really try and do something nice every year. And so this is for us. This is just us. And we're going to just be on one of those little ticky huts on the water and that's where we're going to sleep and it's going to be amazing. And I, and that's a dream of ours. It's something that we've been wanting for many years and now's the time. And, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is and that's important to us. So I think it's important to think about the possibilities of, of if you get out of debt, what can you do with those dollars? What can your future look like? What did you always want to experience as a child? What do you want to give to your kids? Like that's the fun stuff. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Erica. Well, without further ado, I I, I do want to learn about the Maldives in a bit, but before we get, <laughs> we get into it, I would love to go to the lightning round if that's cool with you. Sure. All right. So since you're such a budget person, um, in your budget or spending plan, what is the category that you and your family spend the most on every month? Yikes. The thing that I personally spend the most on is clothing now. It's not okay. extravagant, but it's clothing. As a family, it's definitely going to be travel. Okay. Awesome. On the opposite end, what in your budget or spending plan, what do you spend the least amount on? Ooh. Oh gosh. This is supposed to be lightning round. Um, the least amount on yikes. Um, man, uh, that's a really good question. Let me think about this. Um, I think I have to think about what do I not enjoy spending money on? (laughs) 
Like, where am I cheap? Like, what, what is what, that? Yeah, where are you cheap on? Yeah, like, what am I? What would I? Well, I'll say this: this is probably not the smallest thing that, but I really don't like dining out if I know I can make it at home. I I don't mind dining out, but if I can make it at home, I I will stay at home. I will make that pasta because it's that that's one thing. Um, ooh, that's a good question. This isn't lightning rod. I'm sorry, Justin. Like, <laughs> that's a good. Where am I? I gotta think about where am I cheap on that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't spend very much money on makeup. Okay, that's okay. that's definitely. I'm not a makeup girl. I'm very simple with it. That's for a woman. Yeah, that might be it. That's okay. That's okay. That that's an acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> um. Next question. How do you and your husband celebrate your financial milestones? Oh, um, we have celebrated with a very nice dinner out because that's usually not something we do super often. Um, we are going to give each other a gift next year as a milestone for some for something. Um, so that's pretty neat. I think we have done. We have had a little getaway to celebrate a milestone. So I think when we actually got out of debt, we had a little weekend getaway. Um, but we've, you know, had a nice dinner and we don't do, we don't spend a ton of money. I'll be honest with you. We don't spend a ton of money when we're celebrating a milestone. It's a moment that we create that I would say. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that, Eric. Awesome. <laughs> uh, going to your piece around financial wellness in the workplace. How can employers become better stewards mm. of financial education? Ooh. The first thing I think employers need to do is take an assessment or a survey of their employees. I think that employers tend to believe that their employees are exceptional or that's not a problem here or that's somewhere else. And they don't realize the gravity of what really is going on in their personal space. And I think bringing it home with this internal survey is the first step. That is, I love doing that. And then it also gives me an opportunity to customize or tailor their experience based on the responses in that survey. So the webinar is geared specifically towards that audience and it answers their questions easily when I know what the issues are in that space. And so I think the very first thing is to do a survey or assessment of their internal team. I love it. I love it. All those employers listening. That's right. Take a survey. <laughs> um, one of the last questions I have for you, Erica, if you had to choose one financial book or resource for someone to read, <sighs> what would it be and why? That's really good. Um, so shameless plug, I will talk about my own book. First of all, Naked and Unashamed, 10 Money Conversations Every Couple Must Have. Do not be put off that it is actually for couples because there are personal reflection points all along the way. Yes, some of the terminology is for the teen couple, but um, it the principles itself, they, they actually apply to everyone. So I will say that book in particular. Um, and then let's see, there was a book that, um, I really, so I do a lot of audible reading now. <laughs> I love audible and, um, I would say the dream manager 
is a book I read both in hardcover as well as on Audible. So when I do that, it's a good book. Um, And that is great for an employer who's looking to understand if they want to have some type of financial wellness program in their organization. So, and I've given this book to um, leaders in companies as well as to full sales teams inside of organizations because the dream manager takes that concept of dreaming again and makes it practical and you can actually, it's a story. So you get really involved in the story of how this organization was able to really make a difference in their employees' lives. So I really enjoy that. And I've probably read it three or four times. It's one of the books that I've yet to read, but in all the professional development space that I've been reading in, like that's the one book that I have to get back to it. So yes. I go to my library. I'm going to pick it up there. Yes. And don't discount the first chapter or two because um, it, it. I honestly feel like if you get that, get past the first couple of ones when you, you're probably thinking this isn't for me. Once you get into the story, you'll understand it's for everyone. I love it. I love it. Well, Erica, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I'm also going to plug the book and all your info in the show notes. But for those, um, just if you can plug where where they could find you and how they can engage with you. Awesome. Yes. So you can find me on Erica Young Official on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And then the website where you can find me is ericayoung.com. Thank you so much for your time. And this won't be your last time on the Road to Wealth podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Justin.